And trials provide opportunity to progress on that track, which is why God allows them into our lives. The question is, do we see it that way? When trials come, or do we pitch a fit? We have a saying for all of our kids. We say, does it ever get better when you pitch a fit? Never. He sees the dust, he knows my frame. Despite numerous trials, God provided for Israel every day in their desert journey. That's what Moses declares. All my weakness, all my shame. Let me ask you, if that's the case with them, don't you think he can keep his promise in your desert too? Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. God has proven himself faithful to the Israelites. He destroyed the gods of the Egyptians and set the people free from their enslavement in Egypt. The people praised God for all that he had done. But this quickly turned into grumbling and complaining because the Israelites feared that they would starve. God will provide on the basis of his own faithfulness, not theirs. God brought manna from heaven down daily for the people to eat so that they would be sustained. God instituted a Sabbath rest on the seventh day so that they would rest knowing the great I Am provided for their daily needs. We join Pastor Will in Exodus chapter 16, verse 8. Now, Moses says, in the evening, God's going to show you something. and You'll know that he brought you out of Egypt. And then in the morning, you're going to see his glory. Two separate miraculous provisions. We'll learn what they are in a moment. But in verse 8, Moses says, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat. So you're going to get meat in the evening. And in the morning, miraculously, bread to the full. For that the Lord has heard your murmurings which you murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. So here we go. Verse 9. And Moses spoke unto Aaron, Say, say unto all the children, congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your murmurings. So Lord, Moses says, Aaron, you tell the people, you come out, you're going to come, and you're going to be in the presence of the Lord. He's going to talk to you. Now, that is usually the last thing we want to do when we're upset at the circumstances God allows into our lives, is to spend time with him. Last thing. I can't tell you how many times when I'm upset about something and Beth's like, you, you need to spend some time in your Bible. You need to, you need to pray. And I'm like, that's a lie. I don't want to do that. I'm angry. I want to be mad. I want to be frustrated. I don't like how things are. See, but it's what we need most. It's far easier to take out our frustrations on the things or the people around us because when we come into the presence of the Lord, what happens? We become aware of our smallness, our selfishness, and our stubbornness when we draw near to the Lord, right? We see how big he is, and, and you know, we realize my whining is, is just not really worth it. I, I've been told that Pastor Gibb in, in his office, he used to have a sign above his desk that said, thou shalt not whine. Frequently, it would make for very short counseling sessions. People come in, and he'd chit-chat with them and talk to them, and so what can I help you with? And they'd be like, nothing at all. <laughs> Ooh, we whine, and it's easy to whine to people because when we come to the Lord and say, Lord, and, and all of a sudden we realize, but you're so big, and I'm so small, and what is my problem? And Lord, you always come through for me. Why am I whining to you now? And Lord, I'm, the truth is, I'm just selfish. I want it my way. I don't like to have to wait, or I don't want to see how you're going to do it. I want it my way, and it's not working out my way. And then God starts to confront us with all those things and our own stubbornness. We don't like that. But see, here's what's beautiful about coming near to the Lord. He listens. 
He listens and he comes near to us. Look at verse 10. And it came to pass as Aaron spoke unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The cloud was already there, but now the glory of the Lord appears in the cloud. And the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them saying, at evening, evening you shall eat flesh and in the morning you shall be filled with bread and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Now I read this and I thought, how could God's presence, which was already revealed by the column of smoke and fire, become more glorious? I don't know about you, but that's good to me. Lord, show me which way to go. Big pillar of smoke and fire. All right, I'll just follow that thing. How can anything be more glorious than that? At first glance, when you read it, it almost doesn't make sense. Isn't your glory already there, Lord? But here's the truth. This constant sign of God's gracious guidance among them had already lost its meaning in the eyes of the people. Isn't that crazy? That pillar of fire and, 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 and smoke, it had already lost its, it, its potency, its meaning in the eyes of the people. I don't know about you, but my mind can get pretty messed up sometimes. I begin to easily doubt what God has obviously done when all of a sudden some distance is put between me and the event where God rescued me. Isn't that how we work? Maybe not you, but my mind works that way. God's clear presence sometimes can be right next to me, but I harden my heart to the point I don't even notice it anymore. I remember when Easter service came this year and it was such a glorious day from morning to evening. The whole day was just really special. I had a special time with our family, special time here at the church. I think 11 people gave their lives to Christ. It was just a really special day. And I went home that night and I told Bev, I said, listen, I said, in a few weeks when I'm down about something, I said, remind me of this day. Remind me of this day because I know I'll forget. We so easily forget all the amazing things that God has done I have tons of reminders in my life. I have this wristband right here. It says Steps of Faith. And it's from a, a conference I went to when I was about ready to give up as a pastor. I had come to a place where I was done. I said, Lord, I, I don't really see what good I'm doing. I don't really see any, any benefit to go on. Um, unless you, you tell me it's time to, you know, to go on, I'm done. And, and the Lord just, what he said to me, I remember one night, I was sitting way in the back because uh, the kids were acting up and we got there a little late and sitting way in the back and kind of by myself. And I just sat there and, and I was telling the Lord, give me one good reason to go on, you know. And the and, uh, Lord had about 800 reasons. But in that moment, he just said to me, can you just take one more step for me? Just one more step. That's all I'm asking. And I thought, well, how hard is one more step? I can do that, Lord. And you know what? I, I, I wear this to remind me of what God did on that day when I was ready to quit. And the Lord said, well, you might think you're done, but I'm not done. <laughs> and so graciously, he, you know, like a mother hen with her chicks, you know, he kind of walked me along and one more step, hon, one more step, son. You can do it. Take one more step. We have so many, th- I have little bracelets I keep everywhere from special moments or I, I, papers I just keep to remind me of things that God has done and I pull them out every once in a while and I, I look at them and I remind myself of that event because so easily we forget the things that God has done in our lives. I believe God manifests his glory here in an even greater way to them to teach them that their faith can't lie in seeing glorious things all the time. You know, it's almost like we say, well, I know you did that, you know, you know, 30, a few days ago, God, you, you crushed the Egyptians in the Red Sea and we got to walk through it. And I know you healed the waters with a tree, you know, and I know you brought us to Elam, Lord, with this oasis, beautiful place, but, but we need a miracle again now. And the Lord says, I'm going to do another one, but you can't be looking for that every single day. 
because my promise to you has never changed in all those miracles. My promise was, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bring you out of Egypt and I'm going to bring you into the promised land. I believe he manifests his glory here and he speaks to them because he, be- he wants our faith to lie and rest in his spoken promise. Do you know that the Bible calls itself the greatest miracle God ever did? Deuteronomy chapter 4, 32 and 33. Look it up on your own later on. Deuteronomy 4, 32 and 33. It says, has there ever been a miracle done like this? That God would speak to man and man would live. He's given us his word. God doesn't have to write it in the sky. He doesn't have to put a pillar of smoke and fire in front of us. He's given us his word. And yes, he does miraculous things in our lives all the time. He does it all the time, but it's his word that keeps us day by day, day by day. And this is why, guys, at Calvary Chapel, this is why here at Calvary Chapel Orlando, why we place great emphasis on the word of God in our gatherings. You say, why why does this man talk so much? Well, it's because we spend time in the Bible. Why don't we have a healing service? Because we spend time in the Bible. It's exciting. It's wonderful when someone's healed. That happened last week. We want to see those things. But the greatest miracle God will do every single time we gather is that he speaks to us through his word. Amen? It's the greatest miracle he always does. He speaks to us through his word. Well, verse 13. Here we see God supernaturally provides. It says, And it came to pass that at evening the quails came up and covered the camp, And in the morning, the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, there there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, It is manna, for they knew not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. So in the evening that night, we find this massive flock of quail, it says here in English, but this refers to the pudgy red partridge that is common in these parts. They're fat. These things get tired real fast. They migrate so densely, actually, that hunters, they just kind of, they swing into, the, into the, the flock as they're flying by. They just swing a stick and they'll knock down like three or four. And then they're so fat and lazy, they can't, they don't get up again. So you just pick them up with a hand and put them in a bag and cook them up for dinner. So in this case, it's kind of funny. It mentions here that they cover the camp. It means they they fly into the camp and they just decide, I've had enough. And they collapse into the camp. And it says they cover the camp, which means literally the ground can't be seen because there's so many of these birds on the ground. And so they get to have meat for dinner. And then it says in the morning, in verse 13, that the dew was laying round about all of the people, the host, And when the dew that was there that was laying, that morning dew, when it evaporated, it says, behold, check this out. Upon the face of the desert, there lay this small round thing. The word small means a thin or flake-like, and then round means a grainy, crispy, or scaly thing. So a thin, flake-like, grainy, crispy thing. And it mentions that it looked like the hoarfrost on the ground, which means it was crystalline looking. So it was pretty much like a hand-sized frosted flake. And they said to it, when they saw it, they said one to another, it is manna, which translated is a present it is. I don't know if they were uh, imitating Yoda or Gollum, but one of the two, a present it is. And, you know, the idea was it was like Christmas morning, but in food form. They woke up and they saw, what is that? 
I think it's awesome that the food got its name because they couldn't compare it to any other food, so they decided on calling it a present or a gift to remind themselves that it didn't matter what it looked like, it mattered where it came from. Isn't that cool? I think that's so awesome. You know, every time I ate dinner, what are you eating for dinner? God's present. I think that's neat, looking at God's provision that way. Do you count your blessings from God daily? Oh, what a perspective that will give. What a perspective that will give. Some people have said that manna means what is it. That's probably a really bad translation. They said what is it, but they called it, it is a present. It's a gift from God. That's the name that they gave to it. And as you can imagine, people were probably excited, like what is this? And so after explaining what it was, Moses explains how it works. Verse 16, this is the thing which the Lord had commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, an omer for every man according to the number of your persons. Take you every man for them which are in his tents. And the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. And when they did measure it out with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over, he didn't have an excess. And then he that gathered little, he had as much as he needed. They gathered every man according to his eating. And Moses said, let no man leave of it till the morning, notwithstanding, they did not listen to Moses, but some of them left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Now, an omer is a dry measure. So like, you know, I remember the first time I learned that there's same words, but different measuring cups for dry and liquid measurements. And so this is a dry measure, the omer, and it, was, it represented about two quarts. This is where Weight Watchers got its start. God said, you measure out an omer, you know, and this is how much you have every day. In the gathering of the food, they all obeyed. And when they measured it out, nobody took too much and nobody didn't have enough. Uh, but Moses had some additional instructions for the eating. Don't have any leftovers. Sadly, some didn't trust the Lord for the manna to come the next morning. They thought, don't eat leftovers, you crazy. I'm having a little bit tonight because who knows if it's coming tomorrow. And so some of them did. But then when they opened the pot in the morning, it was bread worms, which means it was full of maggots and it was rotten. It stank. So it supernaturally appeared and it supernaturally went rotten because food doesn't usually go rotten that quick. And Moses was mad. I bet he was. He's probably thinking, do you want God to judge us? You know, where my, where if I were Moses, I'd have probably been like, what's wrong with you? You see that cloud over there? You ever wonder what in life it'd be that fiery pillar would park on your tent? Because that's where I'm recommending it go. Is it really that hard to trust God after all he's done? And you know, that's a great question to ask ourselves sometimes. David, I love David. We, we read in our scripture in the, during worship today where Danielle read about David talked to himself. He said, hey, soul, what's your problem? Why are you so upset? What's going on? Why are you all churning up like this? Hope thou in God. Psalm 43.5, they read 42, but in Psalm 43.5, David echoes the same words. He says, why art thou cast down on my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, for he is the health of my countenance and my God. That's a great thing to say, Lord, you've been so good to me. Why don't I trust you? I'm going to trust you tonight. I'm going to trust you with this thing right now. Well, we see that from this point forward, the manna does come back in the morning. Verse 21. And so they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun got hot, so probably mid-afternoon, that says it melted. It just evaporated and it wasn't there anymore. But it came to pass, verse 22, that on the sixth day, 
So that on the Friday, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. In other words, they had been told, gather twice as much today. And why? I'll tell you later. Just obey it first. So they go and they gather everything twice for everybody. And then they, the rulers, the leaders come to Moses to find out why. And Moses explains, verse 23. And he said unto them, this is that which the Lord has said. Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which you will bake today and seethe or boil that which you will boil. And that which remains over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. And so they laid it up to the morning as Moses bade, and it did not stink. Neither was there any maggots inside. And Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today you shall not find it in the field. Six days shall you gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. So we see here that Moses describes for the first time the Sabbath. The rest of Holy Sabbath is what he calls it. It's a consecrated observance of rest. Not just a day off, but a day off with a spiritual purpose to reflect on. Now, why would they do that? Well, because God, again, he's teaching them that he is their source. I always chuckle when people try to find patterns to the miraculous. Oh, if you pray in this position every day or at this time every day, or if you say the prayer with these exact words, or if you do these four spiritual activities, or if you donate to my ministry, then it will guarantee you a miracle. God works in the exact opposite way, though. He mixes it all up. You know, you ever wondered why? Granted, I'm not Jesus, and so I might have this wrong. But I almost wonder, you know, if the guy with the blindness came to him, and he said, you know, Jesus, heal me. And he thought, I'm going to really throw a monkey wrench into this, because they're going to debate why I did this for 2,000 years. <laughs> and then throw mud in his eye. That would be better. Ooh, we're going to start first church of mud in the eye. Because we do it. God, he, he doesn't do that way. He mixes it up all the time. So we always know it's him. And that way we have to trust his promise and not our religious pattern. Every Friday night, Israel would have to trust God when they set some of that aside. That it wouldn't rot that, like it would have the other six days. And then every Saturday, they'd have to trust that it would come back on Sunday. You know, they'd look out on Saturday and it wouldn't be there. And they'd have to trust, well, you know what? He said it'd be there Sunday, so it'll be back tomorrow. There's no pattern. Like, that makes no logical sense. Nothing else works that way. But see, within God's provision, there are always logical obstacles. And these trials are, these logical trials are opportunities to trust and obey what God has said. So do we? Well, sadly, some of them didn't. Verse 27. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the Sabbath day, the seventh day, for to gather. But guess what? They found none. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. It's a gift to you. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day the bread of two days. So abide you every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. You know, the Lord says, how long will it be till you refuse, he says, to keep my commandments? He says, unbelief and disobedience are synonymous, just like faith and obedience are synonymous. One is the attitude of the heart, unbelief or faith. The other is the manifestation of that attitude and behavior, obedience or disobedience. Now, it's a normal thing for a new believer to doubt God's promise and then to fall on their face, but it's also a normal thing for us to grow out of that and to take God at his word, to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Look over at 2 Peter chapter 1 with me. Peter, talking about the work that God does in our lives, verse 5, he says, you know, that we're to trust the Lord, to rest in him. But then he says this, and beside this, or in addition to this, he says, give all diligence, 
Add to your faith, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance or self-control. And to that self-control, patience or endurance. And to that endurance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity or love. What he says is, okay, you believe. That's good. That's great. That's the starting point. But now add to your faith virtue. The word virtue means moral or right thoughts or a correct mindset. So what happens, we get saved, and then the Lord starts rocking our world, right? He starts to show us a different way to think, a different way to approach life. So we need to add to our faith in Christ. We need to say, okay, Lord, renew my mind, change my mind, teach me the right way to think so I can be in alignment with you. And then when we we learn those things, we begin to get our, our mind and our thoughts in alignment with him. He says, add to that knowledge. The word knowledge here means moral wisdom, knowing how to act on the correct mindset. So knowing what to do. I know you say I'm supposed to love everybody, but what does that look like? Well, it probably doesn't mean running them over for Jesus. So, you know, when they get out of line, it probably means having a nice conversation with them when they get out of line. So now we have moral wisdom. We want to add to it. How do we take this right mindset and put it into action? Okay. Then we add to our knowledge self-control. Why? Because knowing the right thing to do or or knowing what God says and knowing the right thing to do based on what God says doesn't always translate to right behavior, does it? We can know what we're supposed to do, but sometimes our emotions get the better of us and we are out of control, not self-controlled. So we want to grow in that as well and become self-controlled. Add to your self-control endurance. This is that stick to where now you're not all over the place with your Christian walk, but now you're kind of walking steady with the Lord. And then add to that endurance, godliness. That is just that character of where now your normal reaction is to do the right thing, to honor God and to please him with your life. And then, of course, that results in just a, a true, genuine care for others, that brotherly kindness where you prefer others before yourself. And then lastly, love. Add to that love. Do you see the the growth here? That's the natural growth track of a believer. And trials provide opportunity to progress on that track, which is why God allows them into our lives. The question is, and as we are about to close tonight, you know, do we see it that way? When trials come or do we pitch a fit? We have a saying for all of our kids. We say, does it ever get better when you pitch a fit? Never. I'm not more inclined to help you out when you're on the ground pounding your fist and crying and whatever. I'm not more inclined to to come through for you. I, I would like to sit down and have a conversation with you. And so we tell them, you don't always get what you want. It doesn't always work out the way you want, but we can always sit down and talk. So it's important for us to embrace the difficulties we go through. Well, back in Exodus, I'm just going to read these last few verses because they're kind of a, an appendix, so to speak, that Moses has here at the end because we know he writes it later on. For it says in verse 31... And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. It is a present. And it was like the coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. If you go over to the Sinai Peninsula today, there's a yellow, very small thing that shows up in the morning during the months of June and July. Um, Liberal scholars, of course, say, oh, that's what this was. Uh, The problem is is it melts way before noon. The Arabs call it tamarisk manna, but you can't bake it or boil it like the, the Hebrews did here, so it's obviously not the same thing. And Moses said... 
This is the thing which the Lord commands. Fill an omer of it to be kept for your generations. In other words, take, fill up an, uh, an omer worth, a man's worth of, uh, of manna, and keep it for, for the future, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt. And so Moses said unto Aaron, Take a pot, and put an omer full of manna inside of it, and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. And so as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. The testimony, of course, is uh, referring to the tablets of the law that were in the Ark of the Covenant. There is no Ark yet. God, he hasn't received instructions for the Ark yet. So there is no Ark. There is no tablets yet either. So this is him writing this later on. And we know that because verse 35 says, And the children of Israel did eat manna for 40 years until they came to a land inhabited. They did eat manna until they came into the borders of the land of Israel. And then he gives us the explanation of the measurement. And omer is the tenth part of an ephah. We don't use ephahs or omers, so we have no clue what that means. Well, anyway. Despite numerous trials, God provided for Israel every day in their desert journey. That's what Moses declares. And let me ask you, if that's the case with them, don't you think he can keep his promise in your desert too? Surely he can. Would you join me in prayer as the worship team comes forward to close us out? Oh, Lord, if no one else here struggles with this, I know I do at times where I I just get my heart in such a flutter over troubles and trials and difficulties. And all the while, Lord, you've allowed those things. You are sovereign, so you have to have allowed those things. And you've allowed them as an opportunity for me to grow, to add to my faith virtue, to my virtue knowledge, to my knowledge self-control, to my self-control endurance, or that endurance to make me a godly man, Lord. And, and you do the same thing for all of us. And so, Lord, help us to see trials in a little bit of a different light as they come this week, because we know they'll come, Lord. You said in this world you'll have trials. So we know they're coming. And, and Lord, so when they come, help us not to be shocked and surprised or angry or bitter or frustrated or yell at the coworker or the neighbor or our spouse or the kids. Help us to remember this truth, Lord, that you're trying to grow us through this trial. Help us to see how that we might be yielded to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God provides for us. He always does. Even when we are unfaithful to him, he remains faithful. All we must do is trust him for our needs. Trust him for who he says he is. It is all a choice on our part to remember how faithful God has been to us during the trials and tribulations. While we are in this time of a global pandemic, don't be afraid to call and ask for assistance or for prayer. Our office may be closed, but you can still reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our usual office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.